Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning, Inspire family. So glad that you are joining us today. Before we go any further, I have to stop and just give some love to the love of my life. Babe, I want to say happy birthday. You are amazing. You are a treasure. Um, I'm proud of you. I love you. I hope that you have the best birthday ever. Birthdays were huge growing up for us. My dad made sure that we really celebrated birthdays. Um, In fact, I distinctly remember one year, um, I don't know, I think I must, must have been 10, 11, something like that. And uh, it was my birthday. Uh, The gifts were all lined up and I started unwrapping them and opening them up. And I was excited and I would go from one to the other to the other. And I must have opened up like 20 gifts. Um, And I remember at the end of it, I thought, is there another one? For, For some reason, it's as though, I don't know, I was searching for something, something to satisfy me, something that would bring me, you know, even more joy. I was getting so much joy out of the gifts that I was opening that I wanted that to continue. And I, and I guess I was searching for maybe this one gift that would just keep on uh, giving me satisfaction, uh, giving me happiness. I was searching. In fact, I think that often we are all searching Uh, Today's message is about searching. Today, the topic is searching for thanksgiving. And what's interesting about searching for thanksgiving is the fact that we are constantly looking for reasons on why we should be thankful. An author once wrote this, that gratitude is what you feel but thanksgiving is what you do. In other words, gratitude is an attitude, but thanksgiving is an action. But the reality of us is that this action of giving thanks sometimes is more difficult than we think. When we, I don't know how many of you guys do this, but Becca does this all the time uh, for Thanksgiving. Uh, and really throughout the year, she does this, but especially when Thanksgiving is near, she has us go all around in a circle and say what we're thankful for. We were just on a Zoom with some of my family from Connecticut, and she had us do that as well. Um, and sometimes you're having to think about like, man, what am I thankful for? I know I can say the common things like family and friends, but, but, but you know, maybe there's something, what am I really grateful for? Um, And sometimes it's not as easy to really find a place that you feel like you can just give thanks. And the real reason is because as you're searching for a reason to give thanks, you're really searching for a reason to be grateful. You're you're, you're really searching for a reason to be content, to be gratified, to be happy. And so in this Uh, search for thanksgiving, it really is a search for happiness. 
Now, now what's fascinating is that we live in modern age. Our society, our culture is modern age. This enlightenment, this technology-driven, scientifically advanced age, right? And, and we have tools in which uh, we can really solve problems with, the, the solve the mysteries of life. I mean, that's what we're told, right? But, but let's ask ourselves, how have we done? Right? How have we in our modern advanced age with all of our technology and empirical investigation, how have we really made progress when it comes to life? Now, now some of you immediately say, well, uh, right off the bat, technology has made it a safer place for us to live. And yes, that's true. Some of you might think, well, yeah, uh, because of our uh, modern age, we've gotten rid of uh, some really uh, gross social uh, iniquities and, and inequalities, right? Um, and, and yet we have to stop and ask ourselves, um, but have we progressed in being happier? Because you would think that in a society that has the economic choices like we have, that, ha that has the political freedoms that we have, that, that in a society that can take vacations like we can take and have health benefits and longer life expectancy, you, you would think that we would be happier. You, you may look at our ancestors and, and, and think about uh, those that lived even, you know, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, right? And, and, and you would think that we would be happier. But are we? Are we? You know, what's interesting is if you go back and you begin to sort of read some of the journals and writings uh, that people in the past have written, what, what's interesting is that you actually see less self-pity. You see less boredom. You see less meaninglessness. You see less despair. See, see, the Bible has said from the beginning that human happiness is not subject um, by uh, empirical uh, investigation or technology. It's not addressed at all in biochemistry or in politics, as we know, whether you are celebrating or lamenting. I think you can definitely agree that our country is divided. And the issues that make you happy or unhappy are, are actually what the Bible considers to be profoundly cosmic and profoundly spiritual. So what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to look at an ancient text, one of the most famous ancient texts in all the world, and it's found in the book of Psalms. Um, and it's very well known. It's very famous. But, and I'd love to look at this text and bring to bear on it on what does it say about happiness? You know, we have to ask ourselves, have you in this modern world learned not just how to be happy, but how to stay happy? Have you learned what it is to be grateful so that way your thanksgiving can be authentic? Do we know? And, and, and I believe that if we really ask ourselves this question and bring it to this text, this text has something to tell us about the issue of happiness. 
Because if you read the psychology books and the urban planning books and the social and the sociology books and, and even the biochemistry books and and the and the political science books, uh, you, you know what they're really about? I mean, yeah, they, they have all this you know uh, fancy words and they talk about paradigms, right? Um, but they're actually about a problem. We're not happy. We're not happy. And so it brings this question: Well. Can we even be happy? So look at me with Psalms chapter one. We're going to read it and then we're going to pray and we're going to get into the message today. Psalms chapter one, starting in verse one, it says this, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. No, no, they are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Lord God, as we look at your word today, I pray, Heavenly Father, that we will be able to mine it for all of its worth and God, that it will uh, be in such a way that we can apply it to our hearts, that we can meditate on it, and that through that meditation of, of your word today and through the application, God, that your gospel will be seen and heard and that we will draw close to you and that our hearts will become more grateful, which will produce authentic actions of giving thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. As we take a look at what we see and what the Bible says here, um, I want to say, especially to my Christian friends, you may say, listen, I, I've read this psalm many times. I'm very familiar with it. But, but I want you to ask yourself this question uh, as we're going through the teaching today. I want you to ask yourself this. If you really know this, if you know this to be true, why am I so unhappy? And I'm especially asking the Christians, people who say, listen, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Bible, I know the ancient texts, and ask yourself, am I fundamentally and consistently a happy person? And if not, how come? See, Psalm 1, in a sense, is the gatekeeper of really the entire Bible and especially the book of Psalms. It's often been considered by many students and scholars to be kind of a summary psalm of the whole book. Um, its principles are extremely basic to everything in the Psalter and everything in the Bible. But there are four principles that I'd like to draw out of this text um, and address to you guys that I believe speaks to the fact of why people are happy or not happy, why they are grateful or ingrateful, whether they have found Thanksgiving or if they're still searching for it. Number one is this, happiness is possible. 
It's interesting because the word blessed there, that, that actually means joyful, it means fulfilled, it means to be happy. So when, when you see the text that says, blessed is the man um, who does these things, right? The first thing that we see is that blessedness or happiness is possible. Happiness is possible. Now that's a staggering statement. That's a thunderous statement. What, what do you think of that statement? It, it's a way of testing where you are. You see, is there anybody here who thinks that, well, actually, that's not so staggering. Happiness is possible. Yeah, come on. You know, that, that's true. I, I, I woke up on Sunday morning and logged in to hear this, that happiness is possible. Come on, right? Well, well let me tell you this. Unless you have had an unusually harsh childhood, uh, unless you, you have started off with a very bad childhood experience, most of us start out thinking that happiness is natural, right? M most of us begin to think that, listen, happiness is natural and that it is a natural part of life. And we think that, the, that if you're unhappy, it's probably because you screwed up. Somewhere along the line, you messed up, right? M but, and so most of us start out thinking that happiness is natural. And as you grow up, right, you hear all of these sort of dire warnings from your parents, right? You better save money instead of spending it, or life is tough, or be careful, right? And you begin to think, well, listen, if I'm good enough, or if I'm smart enough, if I'm hardworking enough, whatever, ha happiness will come. It's natural. It's natural. And you think, hey, I know there's people that are out there that are, that are unhappy, but it, it's because they screwed up. They, they messed up somehow right? That, that's where we start. But then as time goes on, we begin to migrate. And after a while, we begin to see and experience more, more of life. And we begin to realize that happiness isn't any near, anywhere near as easy as we thought it was, right? D don't believe me. Go, go ask somebody. Go ask somebody that has uh, been able to deeply look into life. Go ask somebody that has more experience, right? Go, go ask somebody that maybe has made it to the top, that, that they are successful, whatever success means to you, that, that they have got there, they've reached it. Go and ask them, and they'll tell you that no happiness, to actually gain happiness is harder than you think it is. We, we start out thinking it's natural, but we actually end up thinking that happiness is unachievable because we go through stuff. We go through difficulties. We go, we, we go through hardships. And what we realize is that happiness is not as achievable as we thought it was. And, and, and really there's four kinds of people. Number one are the people who think happiness is natural. Usually these are people who are young, um, very inexperienced, or, or maybe you've had an incredibly sheltered and very charmed life. Number two are the people who think happiness is unachievable, right? Um, they tend to be experienced and they've been through stuff and they, they've, they've got to the top. They have succeeded at, at whatever succession means. That they've got the American dream and fame and money, whatever it is. But they tend to believe that, listen, happiness really is unachievable. And then you have the third type of person, which is the majority of people, people who are actually kind of migrating, right? Uh, people who are kind of too busy to really notice how tragic and dangerous life is until it kind of just happens and slaps them in the face. And then you have the fourth type of person, 
The fourth person understands what the Bible says. Understands what this psalm says. See, the Bible says, and Christians who understand what the Bible says, believe that happiness is neither natural or unachievable, but it's possible. It's possible to be in this world and fundamentally and consistently be a happy person. Some of you may remember the old hymn that goes, peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. Yes, the blood of Jesus whispers peace in. Happiness is possible. It's a radical statement. And before we get to the second and third point, right away, naturally our human minds begin to inquire and say, wait a minute, if happiness is possible, why do so few people have it? Well, the answer of the text and the answer of the Bible is because people seek it wrongly. We, we, we are searching, but we are searching wrongly. And, and the next two points are, are two common mistakes that virtually everybody falls into unless God comes and opens up their eyes to it. Otherwise, we're actually never happy, which means we find it very difficult to be grateful which makes Thanksgiving superficial. Which segues nicely into point number two. Point number two is this, happiness is fundamental, not superficial. Real happiness, the happiness that is held out and offered by the Bible, offered by God, is fundamental happiness, not superficial happiness. Look what verse three tells us, right? About the happy man, the godly man. It, it says this, that, that, that he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Look at that. What a wonderful metaphor, right? That this tree is subject to seasons. It's not always fruitful. It's fruitful in its season, it's not always blooming. It's subject to seasons, to winter or very dry summers. It fills them. It's not always bearing fruit. It's not always productive. It's not like a tree that is somehow surrounded by a magical force field, right? And inside this force field, it's springtime 24-7, uh, right? And yet this particular tree, even though it faces all the seasons like all the other trees, is unique, because it's been planted on the riverbank. Its roots have access to constant and unremitting streams of water that is there even when the heat comes, that is there even when the drought comes. That's the image. That's the image that, that this, that this uh, psalm wants you to get. So what's the point? Well, the point is this, that the first major mistake we make is we try to find our happiness in circumstances. This is the first major mistake that we make is we think happiness is somehow found externally. We, we expect it to just come raining down on us. And yet the Bible says that the secret of happiness is if you, in order to find it, in order to seek happiness, is not to do it in the externals or in the circumstances because if you do that, you'll mess up. You'll mess up because real happiness is found under you where your roots are. 
Let let me put it a, a couple different ways. Pastor Eric Mason says this, your happiness never consists in what happens to you, but by who you are. Your happiness never consists in what happens to you, but by who you are. Is that common sense? Yeah, I guess it's common sense. And yet, for most of us, we are completely dependent on what happens to us. We're completely dependent on what's being rained down from the outside, not from what I draw from the inside. The Bible consistently tells us that a godly person, a Christian, is not just a religious person. It's not just a nice person, not somebody with a bunch of morals, right? Not, some, not simply somebody who's doing good things, but a Christian is somebody who has been planted and rooted into something besides him and herself. That's the reason why the Bible talks about the new birth in 2 Peter. It says we are made, that we are partakers of a divine nature. The Bible says that we have been drafted, that we've been grafted in. In other words, something amazing has happened to us. We've been planted and we've been rooted in God. Do do you see what I mean by saying it's fundamental? The, The tree experiences affliction. It experiences hurt. It's affected by it. It doesn't always bear fruit. And yet its leaf never withers. That there's a balance here. That there's something here that people don't understand unless you really dig in unless you really understand, right? I I want you to notice that first Peter, I'm sorry, that Peter chapter one, verse six, he he says this, that Peter says, you rejoice in him, though you now have great heaviness. Heaviness there means pain or deep distress or turmoil. And notice it doesn't say you used to rejoice in him, but now you have deep distress or now you have pain or now you have turmoil. It doesn't say, well, you're rejoicing in him and you're avoiding heaviness. You're avoiding pain. No, it doesn't say that. It's too present tense. You are in deep joy, even though you are in absolute deep distress. How could that be? The metaphor is right here. A tree in a drought, and yet its leaf does not wither. It's an evergreen tree because its roots are down into something else. There are people in the church who don't get this. That there are people in the church who say, um, well, when some tragedy happens, you know, and they just tell you, well, listen, you're a smile, I mean, you're a Christian, just smile through it, just press on, right? That uh, they don't get it. No, that, that's not at all what the Bible's trying to say. That's actually radically unbiblical for you to say, well, listen, just put on a face and God is good. You're going to be okay. You know, you know, chip her up, something like that. Uh, no, that's not, that's, uh, that's very unhealthy. If you actually find Christians who go through tragedy with very few tears, without very much grief, without falling on the ground and crying out to God, that if they don't do that, then they don't actually have God's peace. That's not the joy we're talking about here. That's not the joy the Bible's talking about. The tree, it goes through seasons But when it does, it has to pull out from the bottom even more. The tree, when it goes through through dryness, it has to put its roots down even deeper and draw even harder. And anyone who is watching this, who has ever actually gotten this fundamental happiness knows that exactly what happens. 
You know this. You know. And I don't have to tell you what it's like to rejoice in God and yet go through suffering. That there's something about the drought that causes the roots to go deeper. There's something about going through seasons that causes you to, that causes the tree to draw more out. There's something about going through something that causes you to push closer to Christ, to put your roots deeper in him. Happiness that the Bible talks about is a fundamental, is a fundamental happiness, not a superficial one. Not some sort of lightheartedness. It's not trying to picture somebody who's, you know, dancing through tulips and has Skittles following them with rainbows all around and, and, and with a hallelujah choir in the back 24-7. No, that's not the joy. That's not the happiness. That's not the gratitude that the Bible speaks of. It's not superficial like that. But we're talking about a joy that is permanent and overwhelming and overlapping and is actually stimulated by tragic circumstance. Do you hear that? that? That's how you know if you just have circumstantial happiness, right? The, the, the kind of happiness that relies on things happening on the outside, or whether you have fundamental happiness, which is actually stimulated by it. This is when the footprints poem actually makes sense. My grandmother growing up, my great-grandmother actually, she had a plaque on her wall with a poem called Footprints. And really the poem is about this person who uh, had a dream and, and they were walking on the beach with Jesus and across the sky, they were seeing their life sort of flash before them. And they were seeing all of it, you know, as they were babies and growing up and stuff. And, and at some point in the dream, the, the person that's dreaming looks back and sees two sets of footprints in the sand. And then at some point they notice there's only one. And then there'll be two again, and then only one. And they began to connect that when there was one foot, foot, uh, set of footprints that uh, it actually corresponded with uh, some of the deepest and hardest and most tragic times of their life. And the person in this dream looks at Jesus and said, Jesus, where were you when I needed you the most? Why were you not there? And Jesus looks back at them and says, when you look and see only one set of footprints, that's where I was carrying you. In other words, it's in these times that you experience Jesus more deeply, that you experience a realness of him. Happiness is not based on circumstance. It's not brought about by controlling your environment, but by controlling your allegiance. The text teaches us here that happiness is possible. There is happiness that is fundamental, not superficial. Okay, so happiness is possible. Next is this, is happiness is possible, happiness is fundamental and not superficial. And point three, happiness can never be found directly. Happiness can never be found directly. Happiness is always and only a byproduct of seeking something else more than happiness. Whenever you see the word blessed, you never, it never, never says, blessed is the one who seeks blessedness. It never says that, right? It never says, blessed is the one who thir uh, hungers and thirsts after blessedness. It never says that. It always says, blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts after something else that's more than blessedness. Seek happiness or seek righteousness. Which one should you seek? Well, if you seek righteousness more than happiness, you get both. 
But if you see happiness more than righteousness, you get neither. And that's the teaching of the text. The teaching of the text is that a person who is happy is always the one who, who it, it, it has stopped trying so hard to be happy, who sat down and said, what, what am I really living for? Where, 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 am I, where am I aligned? What is my allegiance to? What am I really rooted in? Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, listen, for everybody that's worried, you who are worried, you who have anxieties over these things, he says, don't do it. He says, seek first the kingdom and righteousness. What does that mean? Seek first the kingdom and righteousness. He, he's saying the reason you're unhappy is because you've made something else your trust. And as long as you decide to seek happiness as your highest priority, why? It, 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 in other words, um, think about this. Uh, what's the reason you cheat? What's the reason you sometimes lie? Think about it, right? Well, why is it that sometimes we, we break promises? Why is it that sometimes you have standards and break them? Why is that? Why do you have such high standards and why do you push those standards on your kids uh, in school? What's the real reason? Why do you constantly argue with your spouse and instead of serving them, you demand from them, right? Or even though you know it's wrong, you'll lie to keep your career. Why? Why is that? Or, or why do you sin at all? Well, this is why because your top priority is your happiness. Everything else comes second or third. The kingdom of God is great, you say, but my happiness comes first. Honesty is great, but happiness comes first. My integrity is great, but, 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 my, but, but my happiness comes first. And even though the Bible says that that is the fundamental bent and bias of your soul, you'll never find happiness that way. Jesus says, if you seek happiness, it will always escape you. It will always elude you, always. If you make, if you make um, a happy marriage your number one priority, you're, you're never going to have it. If you make your number one priority, you know, a, a successful career, and you think in that successful career will, will bring some sort of happiness uh, or fullness, it, it, it never will. No, You'll get killed by anxiety before that happens, right? People say, you know, I want to make this moment last forever. Go ahead, try, try to make it last forever. It'll become worse and worse. Let me put it another way. Is God committed to your happiness? In some ways, yes. But if you come to him only to make you happy, you won't get him. If you say, well, I, I'm interested in Christianity and, and maybe, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll bite. Maybe I'll try it if it will help me reach certain goals and make me happy. No, you, if you do that, you're not coming to God. Not at all. Do, do you remember the movie, The Stepford Wives? Do you guys remember that? And so basically it's a bunch of these rich husbands who kill their wives because they're tired of them nagging and so on and so forth. They want to just do, you know, have the freedom to, to be themselves. And so then they kind of make these uh, robotic wives that look just like them. And, and the whole time they just kind of blink their eyes and say, uh, yes, sir. And what can I get you, sir? And of course, dear, right? And, and throughout the whole movie, what they realize at the end is, is it, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, the reality is, is we want to step for God. 
We want a God to come in and say, yes, whatever you want, son. Okay, daughter. Blink, blink his eyes and say, yes, okay, and whatever you want, dear. But it's not real. It's not real. And when when we can't get that, then then we take God from the thrones of our life and we put something else in the center. We seek something else. I dethrone God from my life if I demand that he always acts in ways that satisfy my ideas. To not come to him and obey him would be an injustice. The only way to come to God rightly, the real God, is to come to him without conditions. I heard an apologist speak on this once and he said, the problem with the world is not pain, it's pleasure. And he's right. Because when we get the thing that we think will bring us ultimate pleasure, whatever, whatever that thing is, when we finally get it and it doesn't bring us ultimate pleasure, the letdown is so devastating, so depressing, so crushing. And I have to say that I'm absolutely convinced that meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain, but meaningless comes from being weary of pleasure. And that's why we find ourselves emptied of meaning with our pantries so full. And yet the Bible says happiness is possible. So why don't more people have it? Well, because first, if we look for it in circumstances, we won't get it. And secondly, because if we go after it directly and we make it a non-negotiable, we won't get it. As long as you choose to make your happiness a non-negotiable, you'll never get it. It has to be a byproduct of making something else a non-negotiable. I remember when D.A. Carson said this, happiness is something you choose. In fact, that's point number four. Happiness is something you choose. It's not something that happens to you. Notice, it, 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 notice how it says it in the Psalms. It actually starts off negative, right? It says, blessed is the man who does not, and then it lists it, right? Blessed is the man who does not. See, see the first thing that as you begin to process through this, and begin to realize, okay, I can't, I can't seek it in circumstances and I can't go after it directly. But, but also you have to see that the things that you are doing wrong, you have to identify those and make an allegiance change. Look, look at the verb. It uses the word stand and walk and sit. Blessed is the man who does not stand. It talks about listening to the counsel of the ungodly, which talks about the intellect. Then it talks about walking in the way of sinners, which is behavior. Then it talks about sitting at the seat of the scornful. In this sort of semantic language, uh, wherever you sit is sort of the place where you belong. If you sit with men, if you sit with the Greeks, if you sit with the Romans, if you sit with the slaves, that's who you belong to. So the, the word there, sit, is usually in that sort of context. What it's really trying to say is, first, if you want to be happy, then look at the negativity. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Who, you know, you you have to find out where you belong. Everybody is converted to something, which means at some point, you have to decide who is going to own you. Is it God, is it Christ, or is it something else? Will other things own you? You say, well, wait a minute, 
Roger, uh, if my career um, is going great and then, and then suddenly my success is snatched away, right? Or if I'm standing at the altar and, and then the, my bride actually never shows up, are you saying that I can't be downcast, that I can't be upset about that? No, of course not. Of course not. But Paul says there's a difference between trusting in your spouse and making your spouse your trust. There's a difference. There's a difference between you having something and something having you. Where do you sit? Where do you sit? What are you putting all your weight on? That's what happens when you sit, right? If there is anybody here who says, I've been a Christian for a long time and, and, and I know that I am not fundamentally and consistently a happy person, then you have to ask yourself the question, what piper are you really dancing to? Who, who calls the tunes in your life? What owns you? What do you belong to? What, what are the fundamental allegiances of your life and of your heart? What are you sitting in? That's a negative, and then there's the positive. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. The trouble with these words is, you know, law of the Lord. Many people think, oh, well, you know, there it is. Looking at rules again. But, but, but when it says the law of the Lord, it's not talking about the part of the Bible where you find a bunch of rules laid out, but it's talking about the whole message of the Bible as your rule of life. It's talking about the gospel, the gospel. And the gospel makes you both sadder and happier at the same time. When you're ungrateful, it's because in reality, you've lost sight of the gospel. When you are lost trying to find happiness, searching for thanksgiving, it's because we have lost sight of the gospel. You have been seeking what is in God's hands, but not with what's in his heart. You've been looking at what it is that God can give you, but not for who he is. And you say, well, listen, I've been a Christian for a long time. I don't think that way. Mm. When you go to thank God, what do you thank him for? I don't know how things go in your house, but, uh, you know, with us for Thanksgiving, we go to Becca's family um, and there's an adult table and then there's the kids table. How many of you guys have adult tables and kids tables for your Thanksgiving, right? And, and listen, in order to move from the kid table to the adult table, a few things have to happen. One, there has to be space. Those chairs, those seats are coveted. So usually somebody's got to die in order for you to get one. But really the other reality is, is that you have to grow. You have to mature. You have to, you know, do some adulting in your life. You have to graduate and grow in order to go from the kid table to the adult table. And I think for many of us, you, we have been Christians for a very long time and we have physically grown, but that's it. And we are stuck at the kiddie table of our Christianity because we have not grown in our gratitude. As I close, I want to close with this. Look at this. For those of you who maybe are still kind of trying to wrap your minds around how to do this. Paul says this in Philippians chapter four, verse six. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, 
by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Did you catch that? See, see, here's the difference between the Christian that's sitting at the kiddie table and the Christian that's sitting at the adult table. Here's what it is. Notice he says, he says, don't be anxious, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Well, wait a minute, why with and thanksgiving? Don't, don't you usually give thanks after it's happened? You make a request, you make a petition, and then when it's done, then you say, thank you. Ah, right. But see what Paul is saying, what Psalms is saying, what the gospel is saying is that when you come before God, when you are praying to him and you are giving him petitions, you're not waiting for some sort of response or to see something happen, but you are already thankful for whatever it is that God is going to do. Because there's something within you, you've grown, your roots are so deep and you understand who God is that you understand, listen, God, I'm gonna give this prayer to you. I'm gonna give this petition to you. But I know at the end of the day, regardless of what happens, that I can say thank you, that I can say you are good. I can believe in you. I can trust you. I love you. And listen, I may really need this to happen. Maybe I'm praying for my child who is on uh, their deathbed. Uh, maybe I'm trying to pray that God, you will come and somehow reconcile this uh, marriage and, and we're about to sign the divorce papers. You might have serious petitions. Maybe you're about to lose a job or lose a house. You might have serious petitions to bring before God. But how you know if you're at the kiddie table or if you're at the adult table is this, is that when you come before him, you say, here's my petitions. But at the end of the day, I trust you. I love you. And I know that you are good and I'm okay with whatever happens, I will worship you, I will serve you, and I will praise you. At the end of it all, I'll say thank you. I'll say thank you. You are like a tree that's been planted. You've been planted by a stream. You don't base your happiness on circumstances you don't look for it directly and making it your, your, your top priority above everything else. But instead, your allegiance, where you are rooted, where you sit, is in Christ Jesus. When you find that, then you find thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord God, because there are many people, including myself, who have worries, who are trying to just get through certain seasons of life that are very difficult. And Lord, we repent of the times where we have made it about us. Lord God, the reality is, is that your son came and died on the cross. Three days later, rose again and it is through that work that we can find satisfaction and joy. And I am so sorry for the times that I've made it about my work. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as everyone this week begins to prepare with all of the uh, foods and menus and decor and planning, 
that as people are trying to figure out how to have Thanksgiving in this COVID season, that Lord, when it's time to go around and say what we're thankful about, that it will not be superficial, but God, that it'll come from a place of authentic relationship by being rooted in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.